Let's pray first. Father, I thank you again for this morning. For the wonderful opportunity to look at your word, to stand on your word and your word alone. To see what you have to say. And to sit before you and, and ask that, Lord, you would teach us. That you would take your word and take it to our hearts that we might grow thereby. We might walk out of here rejoicing that we have heard from the Lord in his word. And I ask these things, Father, for the name and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning I, I wanted to talk about what Jesus has to say about the Spirit. And the reason why I wanted to, to start there is I think that things will, will move on rapidly as we talk about that. I want to talk this morning, John chapter 14. Turn to John 14, please. I am really excited <laughs> this morning. You have given me the opportunity to be excited publicly for a long time. But I am excited about God's Word. It is new. It's alive. It's new every morning. You know, if, if His faithfulness is new every morning, His Word is alive every time we open it. And I want to start in the Upper Room Discourse. Um, actually, that Upper Room Discourse is uh, starting at chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. But I want to be in chapter 14 because we see an intimate setting here. He's sitting in this room with his disciples. Not 300 of them, you know, not, a, not, not 500 of them. He is sitting up there with him, eating the last, uh, or, or I should say, meeting with him for the last intimate time. And he has spoken to them about he's going to be betrayed. That word betrayal is very strong because if any of you have ever been betrayed, you know what that's like. You know, it's like somebody takes the breath right out of you. You know, if you, you know, I remember one time and, and you know, many times having the wind knocked out of me. You know, it's, that's what betrayal is like. It's like they, they, they've taken the trust and they've just ripped it out of you. And then he, he tells them an amazing thing about love. He says in chapter 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You should also love one another. He says in verse 35, an amazing thing, he says, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You know, I think this is amazing, because this is where we've been in 1 John. But what separates and really puts down the hallmark of a Christian, Jesus goes before and shows us how, how love is to operate. I love what the King James Bible says, calling love charity. And again, I don't want to, uh, what I'm, I'm doing, sometimes the older language portrays that it's a giving, a self-sacrificing love. It does something. It just doesn't say, I love you, go and, and be filled and we'll see you tomorrow. It is something that sees the need and does everything uh, to meet that need. 
that puts everything of my interests on hold and meets that need. And Jesus is sitting with them. And he says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. All men are going to know. He didn't say all men will agree with you. He didn't say all men are going to join your church. He didn't say all men are going to go, wow, I was totally wrong, and you're totally right. I'm going to give up all my false religions. I'm going to give... No, he didn't say that. He said all men are going to know that you're my disciple. There is something about you. You have something I don't have, and that is love. So now he's, they know that... Uh, That he's going away. In fact, he ends. I, I believe that it was a, just a turning point in Peter's life. You know, I, I used to think that when I was a young Christian, the turning point in Peter's life is when he, when Jesus uh, had risen from the dead. But I think it turned that sooner. You know, Peter's, oh, I'm the Lord. I'm going to go with you wherever you, wherever, wherever. I'll lay down my life for you. Because remember, Jesus said that no man, there's nothing greater than this. Love is not greater than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus said in verse 35, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most surely I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you have denied me three times. You know, in, in Luke's account, the third time that, G, that, that Peter denied him, Jesus turned around and looked at him. And I think he, when he turned around and looked at him, he looked at him with such a depth of love and such a depth of sorrow that it cut Peter to the heart. And he wept, went out of the streets of Jerusalem and he wept, not just, you know, he wept bitterly. And I think that was the turning point. When Jesus rose from the dead and appeared, can you imagine what that must have been like when he went to Peter? Absolutely hugged him in forgiveness tell you <laughs> that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ they're in the upper room and he says let not your heart be troubled uh, 14.1 you believe in God believe also in me and then he says of course you know that, that famous thing in my father's house there are many mansions or many rooms or many dwelling places if it were not so I would have told you I go and prepare a place for you he says in verse 3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. See, for Jesus, his resurrection was not only something that, that was incorporated in everything he did, but the reason why he came was to lay his life down so that, like he said earlier, I may take it up again. So he's implying here, he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Right between, if I go and prepare a place for you, there's something I've got to deal We've talked about that before. Right? There's a cross that I'm going to hang on. That they're going to brutally uh, treat me, brutally, physically, but yet I'm going to hang on that cross because I am going to take the punishment for your sin. Your sin demands death, I'm going to pay it. Your sin has caused separation. I'm going to pay it. Your sin has caused death. The writer of the Hebrews says, Jesus paid it. He tasted death for every man. But after that, he says, I will come back and get you. The writer of the Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ is all through the scripture. He is God. Death could not hold him. And then, of course, uh, I'll receive you to myself, and where I am, there you may be also. That is the most comforting words I think the disciples could have ever heard. I'm going to come back. And I'm going to gather you, and where I am, there you will be also. And of course, and where I go, you know the way, Thomas. How can we know the way? We don't know the way. What's, what, what is this? They're frightened. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There is resurrection all through the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be a useless saying if he were to die and not rise from the dead, if he were to die like ordinary men and, and, and not be the conquering king. How can we come to the Father through a dead Christ? We come through the Father because he's risen. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, If you've known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Jesus said, you... You err to the Pharisees. He goes, God is not the God of the dead or the living. You're greatly mistaken. If you've known me, you've known my Father. My Father is the God of the living, and so am I. I can't wait to get into this into this study this morning. I hope this is refreshing. I hope it's encouraging. And I hope that you remember it. Wow. He chided Philip. Look at verse 9. Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can he say, show us the Father? (laughs) He goes on to say that I don't speak in verse 10 the words on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. You know, nobody did the works that Jesus did. You know why? Because Jesus did the works that only God could do. Jesus spoke the words that only God could speak. He spoke the living living word of God. He is the living word of God. This morning I I wanted to, as a prelude, I wanted to start in verse 15 of chapter 14. I just bring this this up because as the Father is the God of the living, and Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me, I'm coming back. You might hang me on a cross. Yes, He will cry out, it is finished. He will bow his holy head in death. He will be laid in the dust of death for you and I. But you know what? He will rise again to not only prove that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, but that the sacrifice that he laid down on your mind's behalf was the only sacrifice that satisfied the Father, the God of the living, not the dead. And what is the proof to us and to the world that God was satisfied with Christ dying in our place. 
He rose from the dead bodily in the same body he was crucified in. The resurrection is not something that we want to focus on once a year, but it's something that's a reality constantly in our life. We are alive because he is alive. Let me ask you a question. If somebody came up to you and said, you know, how do you know? How do you know you're going to be in heaven when you die? I know you say you believe in Jesus, and I know you're a Christian and all that. How do you know that you are going to be in heaven when you die? I'll tell you how you know, because Christ is there. Christ rose from the dead. The bride of the Hebrews says that he is in the presence of God for you. That's how I know I'll be in heaven. Christ paid the price for my sins, past, present, future. He cleansed me. He made me anew. I'm born from above. He ascended. He's in heaven. He is my Lord and my Savior. The answer to my tyranny. He's my sin bearer. He's the lover of my soul. He's my beloved and I am His. How do I know I'm going to be in heaven? It's not that I hope. It's not that I wonder. It's not that I, I hope I make it. It's that I know I will be there confidently and assuredly because Christ is there for me. All because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So starting in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Or if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That is one reason that we know how much, we can gauge on how much in our depth of love do we keep his word? <laughs> that will become apparent as we go on. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, verse 16, who will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Wow. That he will abide with you forever. You know, as we'll see as we go on, I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself, but do you know the only reason why that you have the Holy Spirit residing in you is because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father? The only reason. Wouldn't it be perilous if Jesus said, okay, you've been here th I've been in front of you for three years. You've seen me do things that no man can do. I've given you my doctrine. Now, you know what? Do the best you can. Do the best you can. Uh, remember what I said, because there's going to be a test when I come back. So you better be taking notes and do the best that you can. That's ridiculous. That's ludicrous. But that's how religions operate. Right there. That's the sole difference between... The reality that we have versus a falsity that they try to keep. And we will see that as we go down. The living Lord lives within us through the Holy Spirit, His resurrected life through us. So He says, verse 16 again, I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever. Underline that word forever. <laughs> you may abide with you forever. You are not, my friends, on probation. Look at verse 17. 
the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. That's why we can sing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come and teach us. Evade this atmosphere with your presence. We welcome you here. But he is not only with us, guiding us and guarding us, he is actually in us. How do we know him? Because he abides in us. You can't get any more personal than that. Having a relationship with Christ is we personally know the God who created us because God lives within us. It is a, it is a supernatural life. Christianity is only, if we ever refer to Christianity as religion, we only refer, refer to and use that word by comparison. It's not religion at all. A religion, for the most part in the Bible, is not looked at favorably. It's always an outward expression of man trying by his own effort to reach God in whatever way, shape, or form. He says in verse 18, I will not leave you orphans, or I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. That is an amazing statement. I will come to you. Think about that. How is God going to come to us? How is Christ going to come to us through His Holy Spirit? You see, there's people out there, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of religions that deny the triune Godhead. Well, if you deny the triune God and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you deny the very salvation that God gave you, came to give you. Because all three members of the Godhead are involved in our salvation, our maintaining our life down here, and our bringing us to glory. All of them. He says, I will come to you. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I love that word orphans because, uh, you know... Orphans are, are looked at as those out on their own and, and in hardship. But he says, I'm not going to leave you that way. I will come to you. Look at verse 19. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. Now let me, let me say something here. In the scriptures, and there's a perfect illustration in John. He will also talk about the world is going to lament. or They're going to rejoice. The world's going to rejoice, but you're going to lament. The world's going to rejoice that Christ is on the cross and, and, and being crucified. You're going to be full of sorrow, but you're going to see me again and rejoice. Not only the immediate time when, he's, when he comes out of the grave, and we'll see that just a little bit. But here he also has the near and the far approach too. Look at this verse real closely. A little while longer, verse 19, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. He has a key concept here. Because I live, you will live also. Christ comes out of the grave. For 40 days, he is appearing as he will to, to the disciples. He ascends to his Father. He says, because I live, you will live also. That's a direct reference to the spirit of life coming in, giving us eternal life. Not probation life, not you better do good life, but eternal life. 
his life. Because I live, you will live also. I love that verse. That is amazing and exciting to me. I am promised eternal life. I am promised to have be a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Christ promises it himself. You realize if you go through the, the, the word and see how many times Christ himself promises safety, security, peace, eternal life, joy, it is overwhelming. Verse 20, at that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Wait a minute. Listen to this. At that day you will know that I, the Son, am in the Father and you, my disciple, are in me and I in you. Wait a minute. I in you. How is he going to come to us? Through the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The one we understand that we, our salvation and how God chooses to reveal himself to us. He chooses to reveal himself to us in the Godhead. In who he is. I was talking one, one time years ago to a United Pentecostalist. Pen, help me, Pam. United Pentecostalists. They're not very, they're not a big denomination, but they deny the thought, they deny that Jesus is the third person of the Trinity. To them, Jesus is Jesus and that is it. And I said, well, you're going to have to go pretty far in, in convincing that when Jesus said that the Father bears witness of me. The scriptures bear witness of him. The Spirit bears witness of him. Look at verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Again, he who loves me, the Son, will be loved by my Father, the Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. How is Christ going to manifest himself to him? We're going to see down further. It's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that has been given since Jesus has been glorified. You know, we're going to see this in a little bit. But Jesus says, expedient for you that I go away. They were grieved that he was going away. For three years, they were in absolute safety. They, uh, they were with the Master. They know that he was the one that was uh, that was to come. He, they know him. They knew him, and they believed on him as the Messiah. And they were grieved he was going away. But he says, "You know what? I am going to come back." And we are privileged, you and I, in the New Testament era, to not only be a part of this new covenant, but now we have a more intimate relationship with God that the disciples did not know. They knew him in the flesh. That's why you have a part of the testimony when, when Mary Magdalene went to go hug him by the, the, uh, the feet. He says, don't touch me. I've not yet sent it to my father. We are not to hang on to him as an earthly Christ as they did. But now we have a more intimate fellowship with God. We have God right within us. 
That's amazing. Jesus said he was going to manifest himself to them. Verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us, not to the world? (laughs) There we go. You know, Charles Thompson said that... uh, People that eat, that look at the scripture and they, they read it here or there, but they don't really make it their priority, they don't make it their food. They can't understand these things of the Spirit because they have an extinguisher on their light. I like that. Here's such an instance. How are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, look at verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Again, a direct reference to this wonderful God who shows himself openly. Remember Jesus said, I don't call you servants anymore, I call you my friends. Because I tell you everything that the Father has told me. The Father is, he is, we'll see a little bit later on, if you read in the passage, that he says, there's going to come a time when I'm not going to be speaking in parables, so to speak, about the Father. I'm going to tell you plainly. He said, the Father himself loves you. And then the light dawns and say, wow, now you are speaking plainly. We know that you came from God and that you're going back to him. It's a revelation and God chooses and pleases to uh, reveal himself in all his facets. And the triune, uh, his, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, I kind of liken it to, uh, you know, when you get married or when you're, when you're betrothed to, to your sweetie, men, it's a progression, you know? And yet, when you know, you know that that's the one, you know that you're giving your life to that one, you reveal yourself to her differently than you would if you were just casually meeting or casually maybe, you know, getting to know each other. When you know, you manifest, if you will, yourself to your bride in very intimate ways. God is revealing himself to us in very intimate ways. How does he do that? Through the Holy Spirit. I love that. Again in verse 23, if anyone loves me, will keep my word. And my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him or abode. (laughs) I love that word, abode. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, verse 26, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And by the way, there's, there's a play on words here because Jesus said that the Father will send Spirit in his name. Here he who sends the Spirit in the Father's name. I love that because whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I have said to you. All things that I have said to you. Now this is interesting. 
to me because he's going to teach you all things that I've, that I've said to you. Look at uh, verse or chapter 16, verse 12 real quick. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And we will explain on that. We're going to go quickly through these things when we get there, what he means by that and, and the, the wonderment of the Word of God. You know, Jesus, I believe, uh, through many wonderful teachers have brought this up, but he puts a stamp on the on the New Testament epistles. He puts a stamp on the fact that that the Holy Spirit is going to come and and, and teach. You know, like for example, he says, uh, you know, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, he becomes he doesn't explain the church, he doesn't explain its function, he doesn't explain a lot of things. But yet the Apostle Paul does. Apostle Paul lays out the grace of Christ and, and revolving the church and everything else. So, again, what does this have to do with, the, with resurrection? Everything. He says in verse 20, uh, 27, He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Verse 28, you have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. Wow. He's coming back to them in the Holy, by the Holy Spirit. That is an amazing verse. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. You know, stopping here really quick at verse 28, just because I can. These verses right here, the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, take these verses and, and many others by saying, wait a minute, see, the Father and, and the Son, they're different. Jesus can't be God because he's constantly saying the Father is greater than him. But that's when you pull things out of context. We are talking about the triune Godhead here. We are talking about salvation here. Jesus is telling them, I'm leaving you. But he is using himself in the vernacular of language that states him right as he should be. The second person of the, tri of the Trinity, the Son, God the Son and the Son of God. And if you take these verses out, you have a very obscure, blasphemous way of looking at the Scripture. It must be taken, as, as we've talked about for years, the Bible must be taken as a whole. Jesus is talking here in context of how he is going to reveal himself. And he is talking in context of the second person of the Trinity. By the way, if you get skewed in that, you're going to be skewed in the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. Because Jesus, by very nature, if he was not born of a virgin, he is not the second person of the Trinity. He is not our sinless substitute. And he is not the Son of God. So you see how one going astray here just leads you way out to the left. I'm going away. I'm coming back. Father, you're going to be you should rejoice because the Father is greater than I. Wow.
says in verse 29, and now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. Listen, folks, that is, a, that is the language of deity. That is the language of the prophets. That is the language of God speaking through his prophets. For example, you see it in all through the book of Isaiah. Remember when we were in Isaiah? I don't know if you, if you remember going through there, picking up on certain examples. For one thing, how do we know that the Bible is the word of God? Remember Isaiah 42, Isaiah 46, and elsewhere. God is constantly saying, I'm telling you the end from the beginning. So when these come to pass, you will know that I am he. That's exactly that form of language that Jesus uses here. Another reason that we need to understand the deity, the God in human flesh. So you can go to Jehovah's Witnesses, you greatly err. You need to know the scriptures nor the power of God. Because God's the God of the living, not the dead. Didn't Jesus say that in John 14, 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You know, when he ascended, the apostles, the disciples, were solid in the fact that Jesus Christ was God. And he, they are hearing an, an intimate study from the Master himself. And we will see all through the epistles how the precedent, Jesus says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the Spirit comes down and, and the church is formed and, and the people are filled with the Spirit, and Spirit-taught teachers and so on and so forth are expounding the Apostle Paul, for example. He received you know, all of his revelations from the Lord himself. So we get the wonderful books of Galatians and Romans and so forth with all these truths because Jesus has expounded them through the Holy Spirit. Jehovah's Witnesses and groups like that that don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, God the Son, and the Son of God are greatly mistaken. And I wanted to finish verse uh, chapter 14 before we finish this, this message by just saying, again in verse 29, I told you these things before. I told them to you before it comes. When it does come, you may believe. I will no longer, this is, these are, every Christian should believe and take verse 30 with the rest of scriptures to heart. Listen to this. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. He has nothing in him. Jesus, in John 17, talking to his father, remember says, they are no more of the world, even as I am no more of the world. That's an amazing statement. If the prince is coming of this world and has nothing in Jesus, when he is risen from the dead and we are new creations, we're created from above, we're born from above, that's what born again means. We have the spirit residing, we are the temple of the living God, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That scripture is an amazing thing. Satan has nothing to do with, with he has no influence on Christ, he has no power on Christ, and that's the same with us. We are His. If Jesus were not God, this would be a ridiculous statement. Again, sex like Joe's witnesses and, and elsewhere that they greatly err. They greatly err. Wow. That's so exciting. I lost my place. 
But now that verse 31, but that the world may know that I love the Father and the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. We all know that in John 15, talking about the abiding in him, and I'm not going to talk much about that now because we're talking about the, the spirit and you know, the resurrection, but abiding in Christ. We've, we've been going over that for the last several months in First John, abiding in him. He likens it to a branch that abides in a sap-flowing tree. The branch produces fruit and is healthy. Versus if it doesn't abide, you know, um, we have a couple of apple trees that have gone nuts the last couple of years and pruning them, and we can't help but prune some of the fruit that's still on it. The branch is not very far long off the vine where it's, it's dead. And that's what Jesus likens this to. And yet he says an amazing thing in verse 26. After he's telling them about abiding in him and fruit bearing and so on and so forth. And in and, and fact, he says in verse 26 of chapter 15, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And I just want to say a thing real quick. Um, and I've said this before, but I've, I just feel compelled to say it again. You know, we've, we've all heard of churches and hopefully read of churches and, and done some investigation and realized that there are a lot of churches out there that give a big whoop-de-doo about the Holy Spirit and what He will do. His signs and wonders, His manifestations. You know, uh, Greg can tell you about the experience he had last summer. You know, we, uh, the laughing movement that came over in the early 90s. You know, Rodney Howard Brown, the... The Holy, the bartender, the Holy Ghost, you know, and all this stuff, laughing and uncontrollable shaking, and you know, the Bible says that the that the Holy Spirit not only will produce self control within an individual, but the Holy Spirit, His purpose is to point to Christ. His purpose is to live out the resurrected Christ in us. Galatians two twenty. I've been crucified with Christ, and I realize it's I who not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we see here that we, we want to realize that the job of the Spirit, if you will, and what he does is he testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not say, well, I'm here, check me out, and do all these signs and wonders. I'm here to dazzle you, and I'm here to make you bark like a dog, and I'm here to make you shake on the ground. And I'm here to give you all these things. No. The Holy Spirit will testify of Christ. And if you read in Galatians 5 about the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, self-control, all these things, that is what the, the Spirit produces in us, the life of Christ. Again, always pointing to Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, love bears all things, believes all things, and so forth. Again, the Spirit produces that kind of life in us because it's the life of Christ. So if we ever hear of people that are promoting, you know, the, the manifestations and these false signs and wonders, and by the way, the Bible says at the end times that will increase. Lying signs and wonders, hoopla, you know. 
So the Antichrist, the false prophet, bring down fire from heaven. I don't believe we'll be here, but when that happens, should, should we believe in him? If people say, hey, you know what? Go to this church because I can guarantee you're going to go out and feel good about yourself. Should we believe in it? Should we not seek to be in the Word of God and to be filled with the Spirit that He might give us a Christ-like life in us, producing that life? He will testify of me. And then he ends that chapter by saying, and you also will bear witness, verse 27, because you have been with me from the beginning. I want to get in a second and, and wrap this, this up here. Don't be deceived, brethren. <laughs> There's many deceivers that have gone out in this world. The Holy Spirit makes disciples of Jesus Christ. Paul, when he was leaving the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, said, Watch out for these people. They're come up from your own midst. They will make disciples after themselves. The Spirit always makes disciples after Christ. Always points people to Christ. I want you to look at, at John chapter 16, verse 7. You know, in the preceding six verses of this chapter, he told them, he said again, uh, it laid the precedent again in verse 4, these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. There are many things that he had, had to say to them that they couldn't understand. But he says in verse 5, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? Verse 6, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. He's talking about sorrow twice now. This has got to be an amazing thing. He's, he's told them he's going to be crucified. They'd seen thousands of crucifixions. Horrible death. He's told them all these things, but he's also said, I'm going to come back to you. But I believe their sorrow was so overwhelmed and overwhelmed that fact. Look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus was comforting his disciples and comforts us now that when he died and he rose again and he ascended to the Father, something amazing happened. He came back and he inhabits those that believe on him. Think about this. The next time you talk to anybody that's of a different persuasion, you talk to anybody that's of a cult or, a, or, a, or a, a wayward religion, or more importantly, and I say that because there are people out there that want to know God, that want to know the truth. 
Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? That was after his wife had come to him and said, have nothing to do with that righteous man. I've suffered because I am in a dream. What is truth? Jesus said, as we started out today, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to know the truth? The truth is going to be in your life when the Spirit descends from heaven and inhabits those. And even before then, how were you born again? How did you all come to Christ? It all came the same way. None of you said, well, I came to Christ a different way than you did. No, we all came to Christ because the Father loved us and convicted us through the spirit of sin. And the Spirit didn't say, well, you know, you're sinners. Why don't you dance 300 times, say 400 Hail Marys, go dip in, the, in any lake you could find seven times. <laughs> you know, the Spirit pointed you to Jesus Christ, the answer to your sin. He did not point to himself. He did not point to some religious system. He pointed to you or to the Lord Jesus Christ regarding the fact that you're a sinner and you need to be forgiven of your sin. And the only way that can happen is look to Christ. He died on the sin or on the cross for your sin. And he rose three days later. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Verse 7 again, it is your advantage I go away. And if I, because if I don't go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, he will come. And again, verse 8, we all know this verse. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Again, who does this? The Spirit. The third person of the triune Godhead points to the second person of the triune Godhead, which points to the first person, the Father, who loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Spirit comes down to, to the world and to us initially when we turn to Christ. He convicts the world of sin, verse 8, and of righteousness of judgment. Look at verse 9. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the rule of this world has been judged. Now before we go on, and let's break this down real quick. Of sin because they don't believe in me. He is saying that sin will remain. And the only way sin is removed is by believing in Christ. Who removed it at the cross for the one who believes and receives the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. Of righteousness because I go to my Father. That is important. Because he lived a righteous life. He was born sinless. He was born of a virgin. He came into this world and he told, he was, at the end of his ministry, he pointed to the Pharisees and said, which of one of you can convict me of sin? Christ who knew no sin, Paul says, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I go to my father, you see me no more, of judgment, verse 11, because the ruler of this world is judged. Satan, way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God proclaimed the gospel in the fact that Jesus Christ would bruise the head of the serpent. 
On the cross, Christ dealt the death blow forever on sin. Satan is a defeated foe. Christ triumphantly rose from the dead. Uh, it is amazing. <laughs> Man. Um, of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. What do we know about the resurrection? You know, Jesus was latent with talking about the resurrection, but he didn't explain it. You know, you go to one example of, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 explains the resurrection. He starts out saying, if Christ hasn't been raised, there is no resurrection. And he goes on to explain that. How about 1 Thessalonians? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, talking about the coming away of the Lord. Uh, you know, like I said before, just a side note, if you take the first three verses of John 14, and I hope you have done this by now, and you lay them right beside 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you will see an amazing peril. Peril. Is that the right word? Yes, peril. Thank you. Amazing. Jesus talks about he's going to come back. You look at, at, at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You take the first three verses again or of, uh, of the 14th chapter of John. You lay them right beside verses 15 through 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4, for example. And you will be immediately struck with the parable. Jesus says, I will come again. Paul says that the Lord will receive us to himself, and so on and so forth. A lot of things that the Lord wanted to explain to them, but they could not bear them. But the Holy Spirit will come and will teach them all things. Okay. Let's move on here. Let's look at verse 13. We'll read through this. However, when the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. So again, Jesus is not only reiterating that the Spirit will honor bear witness of Him, but He will also guide you into all truth, and He will tell you things to come. Verse 14, he will glorify himself? No, he will glorify me. Again, that's the second time emphatically Jesus said that when the Spirit comes, he's going to testify of Christ. He will glorify Christ. He doesn't come and glorify himself. He doesn't come and glorify manifestations of all these, you know, things. And let me tell you, if you have to do some research on that uh, laughing movement that came over from South Africa from uh, Rodney Howard Brown and other people... That was a devastating movement. That was just one of them. But it was devastating. A lot of the vineyard churches fell headlong because of it. Uh, it was devastating. I was involved with several people out of a huge vineyard church that were caught up in the 
in the early 90s into that. And it was very, very... Once that happens to people and they get marred and they get damaged, it is very difficult sometimes to turn them around. The Spirit bears witness of Christ. He will glorify Him. Paul says in Romans 5, 5, by the way, that we've been, that the Holy Spirit has been lavished and distributed, if you will, in our heart. Love. That's what the Spirit does. Romans 5, 5. Check it out. I'm losing my place here. I'm just, I'm just excited. So in verse 13 again, whenever he, the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Again, verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Wow, I love that. He's going to take what's Christ, and he's going to declare it to us. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. All things that the Father, verse 15, has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will not see me, verse 16. Here's that, that double issues here. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. So in other words, he's crucified. The world is rejoicing. Especially the prince of the power of the air. He's rejoicing. You know? Because he knows, for example, if you can get Christ down from the cross... You know, even had the rulers, the religious rulers say, ah, come down from the cross and then we will believe in you. Absolutely not. So they were rejoicing. The disciples were weeping. And yet he says, I'm, a little while you will see me. And they did for 40 days. Remember that end of John. I love that. I, I, my, that's my wife's and I favorite story, if you will, story or account. Can't let me misconstrued account in the Bible is when at the end of John the you know Peter, James and John, a few other people went out fishing and, and they're out they're out on a lake and all of a sudden John hears, Hey, little children, have you have you caught anything? And John perceives this is the Lord. And Peter <laughs> this is the man who went out and wept bitterly in the streets of Jerusalem. Peter, uh, I get excited sometimes. I can imagine him Wham! He couldn't wait to get back, so he dives in the water, and we all know the story from there. They rejoiced. Our Lord said to the disciples, You will see me again, you'll rejoice. The Lord says to us, As he's alive, we will live as well. Verse 17, some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this he says? A little while and you will not see me again. A little while you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this he says? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring? It's verse 19. Among yourselves, what I said, a little while, and you will see, not see me, and again you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, verse 20, again, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. 
In verse 21, a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because the hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been brought into the world. Now, you know, I, all you women that have children, is that a fact? I know it was with my wife. Because something greater has happened than the anguish. Something greater that has happened than, than your immediate circumstances. Something that is going to happen when he is raised from the dead. He's never to die again. Totally surpasses their anguish. Jesus said again, they said of him in the book of Hebrews, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That was nothing in comparison to the travail of born ones, born children, dear children, that would be his after his his anguish. In verse 22, Therefore you have now sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no man will take from you. No man will take from you. Why can no man take your joy from you? I'll tell you why no man can take your joy away from you. Nothing that we have not heard, but I will end with these two points. No man will take your joy away from you. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He raised in the body he was crucified in, showing that he is not only the Lord of the living, but he conquers death. And as Jesus was raised from the dead and the body he was crucified in, not to die anymore, guess what happened to your sins when you came to him? They are no more. Two reasons why I want to expound on you, and there's so much more, why no man's going to be able to take your joy from you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 12 or 95. We're talking about the Lord of glory here. God who had no beginning and has no end. Greg said it up here in Matthew 28, 9. When Jesus came out of the grave, he literally said, Oh, joy. Literally, that's what it is. In the King James Word, it says, All hell. But in the literal sense, it means, Oh, joy. He rose from the dead, he came out of the grave, and he said, Oh, joy. That's the number one point. Jesus prayed in John 17 that his joy would be in us and our joy would be full to the Father. That is his, that is, that is his joy to give us his joy. Did you ever think about that? That is his joy to give us his joy and that our joy would be full. That's in Matthew 28, 9. The second one, I hope you, if you remember me, Remember, I have quoted this so many times. And you remember this. In John 20, 17, he tells his disciples, I am going to my Father, 
and your Father. I am going to my God and your God. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is living. He's coming back. He is the one who paid the price for our sins, who satisfied the Father on our behalf. God is pleased, and He rose Christ from the dead. And now because of this, God, the Creator of all things, is now our God. See, before we were in Christ, our gods were anything and everything. They were not the one true God. We were separated from Him. But now because of Christ raising from the dead, He's our God. And He is our Father. Our Father. Jesus said that God was His Father. He did all things that pleased the Father. He came up out of His baptism and the Father said, In you I am well pleased. This is my Son. I am well pleased. John... His gospel in the 17th chapter makes a statement that is profound. Jesus said that the Father loves us even as He loves the Son. Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God of Jesus Christ, me have sent. So you remember those two points, brethren. Nobody can take your joy away. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, He literally said, Oh joy, and He rose and He's he said, you tell my disciples I'm going to my Father and your Father. You tell them I'm going to my God and your God. Father, I thank you for the incredible love that we have. The incredible understanding that we have that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave, that he has ascended to your right hand, Father, that the Holy Spirit has been sent down that we may live and have life, that we may know him. And Lord, thank you for the fact that we know that whether we die or you come back, we will be in heaven because our Lord is there for us. And I pray that those that, that might be listening to the internet or elsewhere, that if they don't know this love, they don't know their creator, the one who fashioned them in their mother's womb. If they don't have a relationship and they know it with God. All they have to do is turn to the Savior and know that Christ was on the cross taking the punishment for your sin. And that three days later, he rose from the dead, according to the scriptures. And the Father was satisfied with Christ dying on your behalf. And by simply coming and receiving the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life, we are saved. Father, I thank you again for this message this morning. Indeed, he has risen. Hallelujah. I thank you, Father, for these words, and I pray that they would sink deep and produce much fruit. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
The flesh wears its ugly head when you don't think it will. The moment you think you've got everything under control, here it comes. Look out. The moment you think you've been having a pretty good day, man, you've talked to a couple people about Christ, one might have given his life for Christ, and you're relishing in the, in the glow of it, watch out. You know, let's make up our mind now. So when it comes, you're dealing with it. I am my beloved's and my beloved's mine. That's, that's my wife and I's verse out of uh, Song of Solomon chapter 7. But listen to this. I'll leave you with the, with the first six verses of, of the discourse in John 14. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, or many rooms, or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. He's going and preparing a place for you, for me, individually. You know, as a corporate part of his body, he loves you. He's going to tailor this for you. I believe this with all my heart. Because my God's like that. He loves us individually. He's tailoring a place for you, exactly what you want. You know, people down here, they want to find the perfect house. And, you know, I mean, we've been selling our house for almost a year now. I know. I mean, for all kinds of things. Oh, you know, it's great, but we want this. Oh, it's great. He is tailoring something, I believe, with all my heart, that is going to just dazzle us for eternity. I can't wait to see that. He loves you. And, and we flirt with sin? In my Father's house, are, again, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That's the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you with Him. And we're going we're gonna to forsake that in sin? We're going to forsake that and, and entertain uh, pride and, and, and everything else? Is it tough? Hey, did anybody say the Christian life was going to be easy? Paul says, I die daily. So he's going to go prepare this fantastic place. You know, I don't have to worry about, well, hey, you know, is it going to be something I want? It will be exactly what I was designed to love and to dwell in, because that's who God is. And if I go and prepare a place for you again, he says, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know, and where I, I go, you know, the way you know. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where the way you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus takes it from the material to the spiritual. Life. Life is not this. Life is Him. We don't know where you're going to go. Leave us a map or something. You know, let us know. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Wow.
Lord, um, the Lord has shown me the last, well, when I really understood where we're going, and the time is short for, for us here, but I love you guys, and that's my heart. That's the heart of the Lord, and I, I, I would be, you know, I used to tell my sons, if you don't tell somebody the truth, you're not really being a truthful friend to them. And there's so much more to this life than just what meets the eye. You know, they say that those that are suffer great loss, suffer problems in their life. I mean, uh, we've all had tragedy, death, uh, whatever. That those who, who, who stick to the Lord and allow Him to take them through them find an intimacy with Him that most people don't. But we also understand the Bible talks about those that give up their life, that give up what they, they don't need, and they grab what they cannot afford to lose. There's an intimacy and a joy there that the Bible talks about that few nowadays know about. Few as far as the masses go. And that's what we want. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the word. And Lord, but I, I thank you for the Lord of the word. That so eloquently points to who you are and your character. Father, I pray that if there are those listening that have not surrendered everything, intellect, pride, um, whatever to you, that they would do it. Because it, nobody needs to be taught. It's the Spirit that teaches us to abide in Christ. I pray that would be their lot, because what is it worth if man gains a whole world and that you know, loses? What is a game? If we have 20 more days left and we, we live it half-heartedly, I pray that we would, we, would, we would consider and accept nothing less than excellency, nothing less than the Word of God operating in our life. Again, I thank you for this day, and I pray that you would go with us as we go, and give us joy that our joy might be full. Father, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.